Hello everyone, welcome back into the Jackson No Trades podcast. It's good to have you all back for the second week of our big return back to the scene. We have a great packed show for you guys tonight. It's going to be a little lead in with the big hog news we received today. And then from there we'd like to segue into some more uh, NBA, the winners and losers of this gap we've had. The NBA is back. <laughs> we've had a little gap of uh, time here before we have able, were able to get back on the saddle, but uh, it appears it's happening, and or it's definitely happening, and we'll kind of discuss who's going to benefit and suffer the most from this. Uh, from there, we got a little more M- MLB fallout going on. We're not really sure if we're going to get to see any of that anytime soon. And then... To cap the show, we have a nice little surprise for you guys. We have Ben Holloway from Hollow Hoops, a writer, a fellow basketball lover like ourselves, a real sharp basketball mind, and we're ready to pick his brain on a little draft talk and a little mock draft situation. So, Amen. Hope you guys stick around for it. It's going to be a great piece, and uh, y'all hang with us for the next next Everybody. Thank you for tuning in to, I believe, episode nine of Jackson wow. No Trades. Almost, wow, we're about to hit double digits. Almost to the big one up. <laughs> um, seems like uh, the time has really flown by. It, yeah, I mean, with a break yeah, here and there, um, it's 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 been it's been a lot of fun so far, and we hope yeah. that everybody uh, listening yeah. enjoys. Um, but folks, the long awaited day is here. Last week, uh, just really after we released our last podcast. The big news came. The National Basketball Association, as I said in the last podcast, is coming B-A-C-K. Yeah, it's back. And, um, you know, I hope you guys are all as excited as we are. But uh, And I think everybody probably is because you guys have had very little to watch these last few months. It's been a very boring period of our lives. But we're coming back. We're going to get to watch some entertaining basketball. I think everybody's going to be fresh and ready to rock. We got a great uh, looking setup. I don't mind the Orlando setup. I think it's going to be a nice place for everybody to play. Um, we're going to have all the best of the best. There's going to be no, no. I mean, a lot of the NBA hate comes derives from a lot of like they take nights off. There's really crappy games during the season. You're not going to have any of that. All mm-hmm. these games are going to matter right here at the, mm-hmm. in this in this brief period of time that we're going to have NBA basketball. But it's going to be all action packed. These guys have been itching to get back on the court. And I'm, for one, am very excited to see who benefits and who suffers the most from this little layoff we've had. It's exciting, G. I mean, it, uh, excuse me while I move the mic there. Um, it's, I mean, I was just thrilled. I mean, I, 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 ne- I never lost hope. Um, <laughs> you didn't, you didn't lose hope. It, even when I was starting to waver a little you, bit. You wavered a little bit, but hey, yeah. I mean, you can't really blame you, though. I know. I was sad about everything. So it's yeah. good to have. Good to have this going and back in my in my crosshairs. Yeah. Uh, I haven't had a lot to look forward to in the sports world, and yeah. this is one of the big bright spots. But Chuck, well, I you, guess let's uh, let's do this first. In case you haven't heard, we'll lay down the the format and stuff. Yeah, for people that maybe not know the you yeah, know exact specifics. So yeah, y'all may not know. Thir- out of thirty NBA teams, twenty two of the teams will be coming in to Orlando. At the ESPN Worldwide Sports Disney World thing. Complex, yeah. It's a real yeah. nice one. So 22, t- 22 teams. Um, and so the teams will play a couple regular season games. I'm not sure if they've released how many, like, pr- or preseason games, excuse me. 
And then they'll go preseason, maybe two or three preseason games. And then we'll go into eight regular season games, um, which will try to be as similar as possible to the team's remaining schedules that were left. Um, it would just it would kind of go off just like the next eight games that those teams would have played. And then the teams that weren't exactly uh, – the teams that were left out, the eight teams that were left out of Orlando – um, obviously aren't there to play the teams that are still there. Um, so those schedules will try to stay as even as possible because then it goes into the whole strength of schedule argument because a team like that's in the nine seed in the West, the Pelicans, um, they had a very hard first half of the season. Um, and then the second half was a little bit easier, which is, you know, that they're like, well, we're in the ninth seed and that Grizzlies had a really hard, uh, you know, last 20 games. Um, so they – you know, people want them to play their, their you know, hard games and not just get off, um, you know, well, technically, I guess they wouldn't be able to play the easy games because those teams aren't there. But, yeah. 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 And, I mean, just to give you guys a little bit of a format here, um, so the the start date is going to be July 31st. That's when the tips will happen to the real games. Called it last episode. You, you did call that. We've got July fi- or June 15th. Players currently outside the United States will return to their home areas to start to prep and get ready. Um, 21st, all players return to home market, not just players currently outside the United States. That's a week from then. Um, And then we've got testing for COVID starts that next day on June 22nd, just to make sure everybody's clean and, you know, healthy. Which I guess tests will be happening. Tests will be happening periodically, though, throughout the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, uh, let me look here, uh, I think all the time. No, um, it's, it's, literally it's, they're the getting time. tested every night. Yeah, every day. So yeah. there there will be no there will be no uh, shred of concern left after they do all these tests. And mm-hmm. then we'll have training camp June 30th. They're even going to get a little training camp on June 30th. Mm-hmm. Then they all travel to Orlando on the 7th. It's going to get really busy. July 7th, they're all going to travel there. And then the season resumes on July 31st. And we're going to have eight games of an abbreviated schedule that will determine who gets into this playoff format that they have set up now this is where it gets a little tricky the tournament will only have there will be a play-in tournament for the eighth seed in both conferences now the tournament will only happen if the number nine seed is within four games of that number eight seed mm-hmm. it's a little tricky format kind of weird but it makes perfect sense they're going to make they're going to give that number nine seed every potential opportunity to get into and above that number eight team that they believe that may or may not be more talented yeah. and maybe had a Maybe had a little bit of a clunker the first few games trying to get their chemistry back. So it's a good way to keep, give teams that maybe had to get their chemistry back a little time and a little more of another chance to get into that eighth seed. So that would be how it would look. Yeah. Um, and I listened to a thing today where they were talking about um, so the eighth the eighth seed they if if the their lead is less than four games so the, they'll play a playing game and then. <clears throat> If they win, so the advantage still goes to the eight seed because if they win that game against the nine seed, there's no tournament. Yeah, yeah, no. But if then if they lose, then that's when all the mad this stuff starts happening. That's the madness. Yeah, yeah. Which nine, I bet, I bet it happens in yeah, at least it'll one. Happen. But my question is, is it is it an east and west play in? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. on both sides. Okay, and yeah. the number eight seed, and the number nine seed has to beat the eight seed twice to earn yeah. the final playoff spot. Yeah. So the pressure is definitely on them, and mm-hmm. they have to show up and play well. But that, you know, it makes it really interesting because you got teams like the Grizzlies, you got yep. teams like the Pelicans, time towards that bottom area. We might get a good Zon, maybe a good Zon and a Ja uh, NBA rematch in a number eight seed, number nine seed. Yeah, format, which no, really cool. I mean they're going to end up playing. They well, they already had, I believe it was two or three, maybe 
three uh, games already scheduled against each other in the last yeah. 20-something games. Yeah. So we were already going to get a battle for that eight seed out of the West, and it's going to be really fun to watch now. With Zion, Ja, uh, I think it's going to be really cool. Because uh, currently the, the Grizzlies currently hold a three-and-a-half game lead over the Portland Trailblazers. And the, the, the Trailblazers, the Pelicans, and the Kings are all three-and-a-half games back from the eight seed. So... A lot of, lot of teams. Of, that yeah, I mean, there's a lot of pedigree with the Trailblazers, Dame, and uh, McCollum. And then yeah. you, I don't really see the Kings sneaking in there. I don't either. Yeah, that, that seems like a long shot. And then, you know, the East is a little bit more of a foregone conclusion. Um, if John there's Wall a couple comes teams back. that could really that could make noise, but I would say the West is where you're going to want to direct the most of your attention mm-hmm. in, those, in those abbreviated regular season games yeah. because that's really going to be where the, the, uh, the madness could ensue. Um, the Wizards are there with the magic but they're not really there i mean it would take it would take a good a good showing from them and the wizards seem to be sort of in disarray so we'll just see what happens with them they, they seem to be kind of out of sorts but the bradley bill had an incredible season yeah until this point yeah so. definitely but and i'm also reading this is kind of comical the crowd noise through nba 2k could be provided for the games what do you think about but that But they're not sure about that uh you know as long as i don't get any 2k commentator rerun Everyone talks. I, I think I'm just okay. the same. Uh, I'm, I'm the okay. same lines. The same lines and the same stories for each game. But I'm thinking they're not going to be uh, in the booth, so I think I'm yeah. safe on that one. Uh, the crowd noise is fine. You know, it could be good. It could provide a little. It's like a little laugh track in a sitcom. You know, it's but, a little, uh, little comfort. My uh, my thoughts were, you know, we were watching the UFC the other day, and they they were talking about whether to pump crowd noise in or not, and they ended yeah. they opted not to. And we were watching those fights, and what did you think about? I kind of enjoyed well, it, just like the hearing UFC the, fighting. Specifically, it really didn't bother anybody because it was a cool way to really feel like you were ringside, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And you get you get the full on violence and ferocity. Of but don't you think if they kick. if they just hot mic the entire court that we could get like a we really get cool some great audio? Yeah. yeah, we get some great audio and some great dialogue out there. Maybe not exactly G rated for all audiences. In yeah, some cases. I guess that's a, that. That's probably a factor that they're bringing into play. I mean, these, neither, these guys don't really have a neither lot of probably on. is the USC. They put no, it's true. But there's a lot more, you know, you and I both know there's a lot more shit talk going on in an NBA game. Yeah. And there's a lot yeah, more of a yeah, possibility yeah, of that. So, I mean, yeah. you know, UFC guys are much more involved in what they're doing and kicking yeah. each other to death. So, I mean, but um, I agree with you, though. They could kind of take a page out of the golf book on the exhibition games that are going to yeah. come out of the regular season or even the regular season games and kind of do a little funny banter Yeah, that you could hear that you wouldn't normally hear. I think... Uh... I think if any league in professional sports is going to figure out a really cool and neat way to broadcast crowdless games, it's going to be the NBA. Like just with like like graphics and just all the technology they have, I think yeah. surely it'll be a pleasurable experience for everyone watching at home. Yeah. Like it's going to be fun to watch. Like yeah. it's not going to be like oh this kind of sucks. Like I think it's going to be. Oh, I mean this is just me being optimistic, but I think it's going to be awesome. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good format. I think they've really they really nailed this on what they're. Uh, Gonna do the NBA. They've really, uh, they've really put together a good uh, format, a good tournament. Yeah. So, but we'll go into just kind of talk about what teams we think will benefit from the break. Uh, I mean, not not necessarily benefit because no one's really benefiting from the break. Nobody's gonna benefit. But who, but who just comes teams, out a little better? You know. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll say this, and I, I mean I know you're gonna obviously jump on this train with me probably. It's a it's a pretty easy take, but I think 
the team, it seems easy to say, but I think the Lakers probably benefit the absolute most from any NBA team. Okay, see, so now why? There's see. a reason for that for me. One, you got a LeBron James who's just got more time off. Yeah. As if he was already in his peak condition for his age. Now he got some time to rest and some time to rejuvenate his body. Yeah. And you've got a team that already had such great chemistry. Mm-hmm. Now, you could spin it and say really bad because now the chemistry took a break and now it's not going to be as good coming back. But I mm-hmm. think they have a really good cohesive unit. And I think if there was a team that had to take a setback and in time together, their chemistry was already so strong, I think they come back pretty well. Yeah, and also just... I have, I mean, I agree with the sense that it's LeBron and like that. If anyone's going to lead a post-pandemic cha- team to a championship, it's going to be LeBron James. Yeah, just just with being able to like that, just being that motivator and just like that leader that he is. Yeah, but also I don't want to underestimate like just like be- losing game shape because like you can't. There's a, I mean, you can get to peak physical condition and still not be like ready to play a basketball game in the NBA. You know yeah. what I mean? So. I mean, I think I it's going to be a star power tournament. I don't think it's just going to see yeah. as many. I don't think you're going to see as many role player team built runs. Those teams, I think, are going to take a little hit, like the OKC Thunder. Mm-hmm. Jacob, Jacob went upstairs, so I can talk, yeah. talk, like the, talk bad about like them, the Raptors. Like well, teams, yeah, that aren't maybe as star driven. They don't have that one guy that they can just say, "Go get me a bucket." You know, OKC was really benefiting a lot from the Chris Paul cohesiveness of Stephen and those guys that were really. Jiving, I feel like, and really mm-hmm. clicking. Yeah. And, you know, a break like this really doesn't suit them very well because Chris Paul's got to get back into game shape. He probably hasn't been doing a whole lot, and a lot of the guys probably haven't been doing a whole lot. So, yeah. They're younger, but they definitely, they were definitely on a roll. They were definitely rolling. Yeah. And I think these kind of breaks hurt teams like that. They need yeah. to keep that momentum going um, and not just, and they can't just pick up right where they left off. Team, well coached teams, Boston Celtics, I think, don't hurt too bad. Brad Stevens is going to have his no. ready. Yeah. Um, uh, well, something that I was listening to um, today was it was saying, who was it? Um, I think it was Chris Broussard, or it was Chris Broussard on on, on the herd, and um, he's capable of a good point. Yeah, here yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I gotta give him more credit. It, uh, and it, he well, he made me think about something I hadn't thought about is that you know everyone every NBA fan was hoping for a Lakers Clippers Western Conference Finals, obviously, because that would be peak NBA basketball, right? But if that would have happened, you know, and, and the pandemic never happened, blah, 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 like it would have been seven straight away games for the Clippers, playing in Staples, dominated by Laker fans. Yeah. And that, I think that would have given a serious edge to the Lakers. Not mm. that they necessarily needed it. That's a good point. But now we're on a neutral site. I think now being in Orlando, I think that takes a hit on the Lakers. Yeah. They don't benefit from that crowd. Rejuvenation and push that they would get in a Staples environment. I think you're right about that. I think there's something to that. Well, yeah, and it, it, we, yeah. So I, I credit I credit my friend Chris Broussard for that take. <laughs> I think that's a decent um, take. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, I hadn't um, either, and I thought it was an interesting and that, point. That is worthwhile. And I mean, I I really hadn't thought about all the home court advantages that could have been available for a lot of these teams. Yeah, I mean, teams like the Celtics that also have great home home environments, and I mean, even the Bucks. They seem like they have a pretty rabid fan base. So like. I mean, these teams are obviously very talented, and they may not need a ton of help, but, like, they've got, you know, they, they're going to miss their, their guys. They're going to mm-hmm. miss their fans. Yeah. They're miss their, their, uh, their support. So that's worth noting as well. I hadn't really thought of that. And the 2K crowd noise probably isn't going to push them very far. That's probably not going to motivate too many players <laughs> out there listening. To, yeah. Probably not gonna, the video game noise probably isn't going to help a whole lot. You know what I saw on Twitter the other day? What is it? 
is that Nikolai Jokic of the oh. Denver Nuggets is shredded and Evidently, has a six-pack. According to the, the front office, he has been grinding. And he is about to be in his best shape. Now, do we believe career. that? Because he, he, at the beginning, at the beginning of this season, you know, he came in and he lost a step because he was getting some MVP talk last year. Yeah. But he, he, he came he in looking like a refrigerator. Yeah. And he was a little slow, a little, little gassed. Well, he's always ref- been refrigeration yeah. type. But he definitely, uh, I think that was a testament a little bit, I think, to maybe teams having a year of him and figuring yeah. him out a little bit on his on his game and his his inability maybe to be a little uh, a little slower and a little slower to the punch as a lot of these uh more fit and bouncy guys down there like a drumming or something but mm-hmm. he uh yeah he may come back and surprise people after the break here with a, with a little with I a mean do we still do we but I mean does him having a six pack affect the way that the nuggets go out I don't probably, know. Not. probably not <laughs> probably not that's another I mean that's a team that's another team where to your to your home court advantage point, uh, this just hit me a little bit. That's a team that benefits from a lot of home court advantage. The mm-hmm. altitude, the home yeah. games, they say, is brutal oh, to play in. Dude, Denver. they're gonna get and washed. All sick. And you know, and like all the players feel shitty playing in Denver. So it's interesting to think about that actually, because Denver, whereas a three C maybe would have had a few good home games there to really dominate mm-hmm. on, yeah. they're gonna be way out of their element. That's in a good the point. Southeast in the southeast Florida area, so. I'm interested to see, you know, maybe the maybe the sweat and the heat kind of wears on my, our guy Jokic a little bit, and he kind of starts to revert back to his <laughs> dumpier ways. So we'll see what happens. Oh, they've man. got a they've got a kind of they've got a good looking squad. A lot of people are pretty high on them, but um, yeah, yeah, we'll see. I hadn't thought about but, that. But uh, go back to uh, our last episode to check out our finals predictions mm. out of the East and the West. Mm. Yeah, I went chalk. Um. And for the sake of time, we'll be we'll just move on from the NBA at this point. And yeah. And then we'll go into the Rockets Raw Razorbacks. Got another grad transfer from Indiana. The Muscleman. I was trying to think of a Rossianism for him today. Did you come up with anything he good? He really deserves it. I, I don't know. I, I, I really was like, I was really brainstorming around like, like there's so many recruits flocking to him. Like I was kind of pushing in the direction of like, he's like a beacon, like the Muscleman beacon, but I couldn't think of like a lighthouse word for muscleman type thing where it's like everybody's mm. drawn to it. Mm-hmm. I almost went with the uh, muscleman mothership, but ah. it's not not incredible. I'm, I'm still workshopping it. Okay. I'm going to come up with okay. something. Don't worry. Um, it's, it's working. It's, it's incubating right now, the thoughts. But uh, but yeah, we have a new transfer. New transfer, Indiana. which puts us one over. We have we have one too many scholarships I mean, yeah, on our roster. Many. Yeah. So, Justin Smith is his name. Justin Smith. He's a swing man. He averaged double figures last year, but that was for the first time in his college career. Started Just every... Full disclosure. Yeah, started every game for right. Indiana this past mm-hmm. season. Uh, the Razorbacks did beat Indiana, um, did beat Indiana. Uh, towards the beginning of the and season. Played a great game against them. Mm-hmm. I think Gritty game. We won't, go, we won't talk about their best player getting ejected in the first half. Mm. That, yeah. yeah. We're going to let that one slide. But, uh, but, yeah. We still beat them. So, what do you think... Is going to happen to our roster with us being one over a limit. Well, yeah, I mentioned this earlier, and I don't know if I mentioned it to you or if I mentioned it to everybody. I, I don't really remember, but um, I think the writing is on the wall for Isaiah Joe at this point. Yep. And I think the only reason it's not on our wall is because we can't see it yet. And I think it's We're on just... Musselman's wall. I think he knows very well that this is the end for our man Isaiah Joe. He's getting first. He's getting first round buzz. We're not sure if he's going to get in the first round, but he's getting enough buzz to where 
this is probably the end of his career with us. I totally get it. Totally get one to move on into the pros, but it sucks that we're probably not going to get to be maybe not as elite as we could have been. We're, we're going to be a great team next year. Don't, don't let us sell you short on that. We're going to be a great team. We've got a lot of great guys coming in, but I think it's going to separate us from that Sweet 16 projection into that round of 32 projection, more of. It would definitely – I mean, keeping Joe, obviously, is would be an awesome. ideal situation for every Hog fan. Oh, yeah. Um, and we've made our statements and our thoughts on Joe very clear on this podcast. Uh, I mean, all in the last three, just about how – Integral he is. Yeah, I mean, it, it would just take our, te- our young team to the next level. We've added yeah. a lot of size. Um, We've been critical of Joe in the past. Yeah, when we before have, he got hurt, we, he was he was struggled a little bit out of the gates. He wasn't putting up the numbers we were accustomed to seeing. Mm-hmm. He was hitting shots, but we just didn't know what if we could get a little more out of him off the dribble. Right. Um, but we really didn't realize how much it was a classic. Don't know what you have till it's gone situation yeah. where. When we lost him and we started to lose those games in that stretch, it was like, okay, that is why we need Isaiah yeah, Joe. He yeah. is that bucket that we need right now. Yeah, yeah. And Mason had to take a lot of the workload. But, but yeah, I mean, I guess you know, if he leaves, we're still we're not down bad at, by any means. No, I mean, no, the, we're future, not in the, dumps. the future the future is bright, very bright. Um, but yeah, I would have to agree that with this guy coming in, I I'd say he probably wouldn't be coming in unless somebody was somebody was on the way out. Yeah. yeah. So and you know you we can glass half full it and say you know there could be a, a lower level transfer heading out. Not that we're pushing for any of our guys to leave. We're big fans of all of our guys, but we could kind of say it in that way. Way maybe there's a guy that we don't know about that might be leaving um, instead of losing Isaiah, which would be a little bit better situation. But I mm-hmm. think for being honest with ourselves, this is an Isaiah Joe exit uh, indication right here for me. Yeah, I mean, and you you we've heard for the past year and a half, two years about Desi. Potentially, you know, want to transfer. There's been things about it. But that that's was not that was more, you know, before this last season and before he really became sort of a fan favorite. Oh, fan favorite. Yeah, I mean, he's they love him here. He's really come on the scene as like loved. a yeah. Um, and then with the with the amazing back half of the season that he had from three amazing. and just overall with the Found absence of Joe. Yeah. Yeah. He really came into his own. We didn't, so, yeah. We were worried about his jump shot for a while. and But we all knew it was there. Yeah. It wasn't a matter of he couldn't shoot. It was a matter of just finding his groove. And yeah. he's a streaky guy through and through. And he definitely benefits from being like the second or third guy more than the central yeah. piece. Yeah. Like, yeah. A, like Mason Jones is able to penetrate and do a lot of kicking out for us. But I think we're going to be fine in the sense that we're going to have uh, a lot of good players hanging around. That are still going to be good, and obviously our new uh, freshman coming in class, which is just absolutely stellar. Um, I was reading Rothstein's little t- thirty-five today, his his little post. Uh, I wanted to see what he thought about our lineup coming in. He uh, he he still has Joe. He keeps everybody in the projected starters until they're gone. Right. Yeah. So ours was still Desi Joe. I think he had Moody at three, and I think it was like a Cheney and then a, a Vanover. Hmm. Potentially, it was something like that. Okay. Maybe it was Moses at the. I don't remember how he had it completely structured, but yeah. he was. But he was saying, you know, Joe at two, but he's going through the draft process. He will go through it, and he didn't really give any indication of what he thought he was going to do because, frankly, he probably doesn't know. Yeah, um, he's probably not completely plugged into every player's thoughts. Now he is a very, uh, you know, convicted and very uh, grind guy on yeah. the college basketball scene, but. Um, We'll just see. I mean, there's no reason to be disappointed if no. we lose him. 
But uh, I mean, there's a reason to be disappointed, but not completely. Yeah, but I don't know. I'm I'm just happy with the size that we've added through grad transfers and um, you know recruits and uh, guys that were coming off you know not being eligible like Vanover. So I think you know the future's obviously bright, very bright. We got a lot of long wings coming in. We got Justin's a big guy, he's a six seven long wingspan. We had Vance Jackson come through, who's um, we've seen is a great long. Good, good shooter, good three point shooter. Justin Smith isn't exactly a three point knockdown shooter, mm-hmm. but um, he's a swing man. He can play D. So yeah. we're gonna stick to that defensive culture, and I think it's gonna help us out a lot. So yep. that's your hog update. That's the hog update, everyone. Just so um, you guys are prepared. And MLB baseball. MLB baseball. We can just run through it real quick. I mean, it. You know, the whole situation. If you haven't been keeping up with it, it's just so exhausting because it's exhausting. It's the worst run professional sports league in the world by far. Yeah, it's not. Um, I mean, it's 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 monotonous. It's ridiculous. Like that, we just major league baseball. Major league baseball could have been one one of, if not the first, professional sports league back, and they're spinning their wheels. And they're they're yeah, they're just sputtering. Yeah, they're not finding any traction. (laughs) They could have gained new fans. I mean, yeah, it's they, just... they really could have. They could have brought the league back with force because truly, I mean, MLB is losing a younger audience, and they're losing. Um, I mean, they're they're losing this generation of, yeah. of kids and this in these upcoming uh, years of uh, citizens. I mean, yeah, we've got. I mean, they've got their older fan bases that will still tune into their network games and watch MLB baseball because it's on, but they're not going to get that kind of background noise watching from these younger generations and they could have really capitalized on this opportunity of no sports to really dude it's really find their way it's just like it's so frustrating because i mean i mean we're big baseball fans you yeah. know as we sit here and talk it. about the younger generation not really being but like i mean there's not i mean people our age unless they like have like a much. team they really ride or die for even really teams they really ride or die for that their families loved I mean, and i mean like you know they only the care about september you know i mean we're the, i mean we watch most games but at the end of the day, during the it's such a long season, you see you see your weekend matchups and you watch mm-hmm. the Sunday night baseballs and you watch yeah. your get you watch your, your squad play, but you're not you're not tuning into every game and you're not you're not watching week week long uh, series. Yeah, you're not watching four game series. But I guess but, if, if someone's completely you know out of the loop for the MLB situation, we talked about it a little bit last week, but just uh, basically there's a proposal after proposal from the players uh, you know uh, association. To the front offices and to the league, yeah. um, it's all you know. It's all about you know prorated salaries, money, salary cuts, and it all comes back to dollars and cents. It's all it's all Man. just dollars and cents. The MLB squeezing their just pocketbooks. squeezing their pocketbooks. The owners are not willing to budge on this. And Man. the faster they come back, the more like if they don't come back, there's not going to be there's going to be less money you know in the following seasons. Like they need yeah. to come back now but it's just they they all like it's it's just bad folks but um we'll i mean do you have anything else to say about the baseball i mean i don't have a ton else to say about baseball i'll say this the mlb is a no cap salary league and the players make a great uh, amount of money i'm not going to take the owner's side by any means because those guys are major fat cats they make big money but it's a lot of just greed on both uh, greed on both sides um and it hurts the game. It hurts everybody. Um, I think 
I think the prorated salaries is a little whack. I think they're gonna. I mean, they're they're gonna struggle to you know make even the dollars worth coming back to get into training shape and play versus their normal year salary. So it's it's a little bit of a tough situation for everybody. But I think um, I think this is a really bad look for the the MLB and the commissioner and Rob Manfred, who's didn't need any more bad publicity on his side, and he's getting a lot more mm-hmm. with his inability to unite. Um, a league, a league, uh, yeah. yeah, a league of owners, a league of players. Just an overall, he can't get everybody in a room and on a, on a Zoom, I suppose, and you know, hammer this thing out. So it's the outside it's sports should be able to go play no problem. Yeah, like if we're bringing in an especially ind- a game that's so that's so little contact. Yeah, that's what I was about to and say. NFL is that is one thing, but this if, is MLB. If the NBA can figure out how to come back indoors and being. Yeah. 50 times more of a contact sport than the MLB ever is. Yeah. Especially it's, just it's like, just, especially it's, in, it's embarrassing. Contact. MLB players are much more, much more clothed and they were, will be wearing batting gloves most of the time anyways. Yeah. There's not near as much germ, you know. Baseball, baseball, if you think about it, they've been preparing for Corona ever since they started wearing batting gloves. You yeah. Know. They've got batting gloves. They, uh, yeah. I mean, the catcher's got a mask. I mean, they, they've been Corona, uh, yeah. Corona they social distancing. They should be Corona ready in theory. Baseball uh, is the sport of social distancing. Yeah. Already. Yeah. Baseball and golf. I mean, golf <laughs> yeah. kind of figured it out. Gol- so golf's coming back. Yeah. I mean, I can't um, wait. They had their greatest ratings ever on that uh, match. So. They're figuring it out. It's 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 really ugly. So right uh, now, see what happens. Yeah, right now they propose a seventy six game season. Uh, you know, a a playoff. Whoever makes playoffs, you pull the money together. Um, yeah, up to eight playoff teams. So set from one hundred and eighty two games to seventy six games, that would make every game. You know, about double as important there. But uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens to the to the MLB. Hopefully, yeah. it comes back. Um, we'll take a quick break and then we'll be right back folks see you then well boys we hit the jackpot this time Welcome back into the Jackson No Trades podcast, everyone. Today we have a very special guest, uh, creator of hollowhoops.com, my cousin-in-law, I guess you could say, a loving husband and father, uh, a tragic Chicago Bulls fan, uh, a fellow basketball head, basketball fiend, uh, Ben Holloway. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you. Great to be here. Uh, long-time listener, uh, first-time caller, so happy to be a part of the show today. <laughs> Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, this is this is our. Uh, you know, you're one of our uh, first guests uh, on the show. That's not just uh, like our next door neighbor or like one of our college friends. So, so, so we're ha- so we're happy to uh, you know expand our horizons here and, and have you on. Um, I'm glad I can make you legitimate. I wanted to, uh, as a outsider on the, as like an outside looking in on the hollow hoops. Uh, what site and the team here just kind of to get an idea then I wanted to ask you a little bit about kind of just how this whole thing got started before we get into our mock drafts and our draft analysis I wanted to kind of pick your brain on that a little bit yeah go ahead so like when you got did you just were you and your brother according is what Chuck said earlier y'all got started on this 
Yeah. So uh, something I've kind of done for a long time is just some uh, basketball analysis. And I realized, uh, you know, my everyday followers on social media didn't really probably care to read all that I was, uh, you know, looking at and writing. So I decided I'd just put together kind of a space, not only for me to be able to post uh, some of the stuff I was writing, but also just to create a community of, of fellow people that enjoyed that type of material and other guys that would want to, uh, to write on basketball and, and kind of talk from a statistical side mostly, but, but really uh, just overall that love the game. You know, I get, I get tired of the conversations that uh, end at, you know, Jordan went six and zero, and LeBron's lost five finals. I mean, I really like to get into the weeds and have some intelligent conversations. So that that's kind of the idea behind the website uh, we've got seven journalists right now and uh, are always looking to expand our team of, of guys that just want to write some, some Hall Hoops content. And, and Chuck can speak for it as well. I mean, I think some of the most fun I have is actually just in our group group chat with uh, all the authors. Uh, somebody brings up a debate and we kind of fight it out, uh, you know, internally with our team. So uh, it's kind of blossomed over the last few months. Uh, we've had a lot of uh, action on the website, a lot of people coming and viewing, and it's something that really blew up a lot faster than uh, I was expecting it to, but uh, it's definitely been uh, been a fun ride thus far. No, it's definitely been, and I have to, I, I won't speak for just myself here, but Chuck as well, I think we suffer from the same syndrome of feeding our followers information of sports that they may or may not give a crap about mm-hmm. or want to see, so we, uh, we very much appreciate that grind and that uh, that need to creatively get outside your box of the all-time rants uh, and actually get into the, the numbers and thoughts behind it. So you've put together quite a big board here, Ben. I must say I'm very impressed. There are uh, a lot of good – there's a lot of good players this draft, and you've got a lot of good uh, – got every ranking from every platform I can think of on here. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, we start working through the – we started working through the big board with our team and, and to kind of give everybody a starting point, we kind of pulled everything in one place so that everybody could have a starting point of where to do their analysis. But the idea was to come up with a big board from our platform with all of our guys uh, invested. So it's not just skewed towards one person's opinion, but really to develop, uh, you know, from an analytic standpoint, uh, who are the top players in, in this draft and, and how's it compared to some of the other major platforms that you, you might find a big board on. No, definitely. And um, I've been I've been granted the access to take a look at it and uh, kind of make my own, formulate my own opinions on it a little bit. Uh, and I have to say, I think it's a, uh, it's a it's not a phenomenal draft, but I think it's a slightly underrated draft. Would you would you somewhat agree with that? I think it's really deep. I mean, I think that it's really easy to look at the top four or five slots and, and call it a mm-hmm. weak draft just because it doesn't have the top end talent that a couple of the last years. But I mean, there's some guys that I see that are likely in the second round that really could be impactful long-term NBA players. Um, whereas the last couple of years in the draft, you've seen the second round really is just, you know, draft and stash guys internationally internationally they don't come over to the league for five years this year i think it's gonna be very different that you're gonna have some really competent players i mean guys that were leading teams like duke uh that are not going to be picked until you know 45th or 50th overall um so i'm excited to kind of see i think there's a lot of value especially later on in the draft that you know it's easy to call it a weak draft when you just look at the top two spots and you don't see zion you know (laughs) 
Right. No, I totally agree with that. Um, and I would agree with you that there are some sleepers in this draft. I've been looking over your favorites here. And before we got into kind of who we thought were the best or the worst and of the top area here, I wanted to ask you about a few of your favorites. Uh, okay. Kira Lewis Jr. was top of your list I've seen here. And just kind of looking yeah. at the highlights, I was blown away that I didn't already – wasn't already on notice of this guy. Like, I feel like I've watched a lot of Alabama basketball this year, and yet somehow this dude really slipped through the cracks. But he's a player. Yeah, I mean, Kira's a guy that even if you look at our big board, you know, I think I'm an outlier from even the rest of our team that I just really like him. I mean, he's a pretty poor decision maker, which I think is where a lot of people get concerned. I mean, it's not uncommon to see him throw it into the third or fourth row, but – I mean, the speed that the guy plays the game with, I mean, if you look at his college stats and you try to find a, an accurate comparison, I mean, the guy you find is De'Aaron Fox, that very similar players, except for Kira shoots a lot better from outside. Uh, he's a sophomore, which kind of gets people concerned, but even last year, I mean, he was too young to be eligible for the draft last year. So as a freshman, it really is, I mean, he's basically a freshman, but he's gotten two full years of college experience. Uh, and I think he's one guy that really, if they don't have a combine, will be hurt uh, because of that. Because I think if you get him in front of scouts and they can watch him in person and see him, you know, run around the court. And uh, I mean, he's got a pretty good vertical leap as well. I think he's a guy that meets a lot of those intangibles that in the modern NBA, I mean, he's going to be able to run the break. He's going to be able to shoot from outside. I, I'm very impressed with him. And, and like we're talking about this draft, I mean, a lot of it's going to be kind of taking your shot for a guy you think could make it big. And for me, uh, Keir is one of those guys that may fall all the way down to 15 or 20. And I mean, I've got him as the top. I think I've got him at seventh overall on my board right now. He's got to add some weight, but outside of that, I mean, I think there are a lot of positives with kind of who he is as a player and, and his ability to get to the rim. And I don't think that's going to change in the NBA. I mean, I think he's going to beat people uh, to a spot whenever he wants. Um, and as he works on some of that finishing, adds a little more weight, I think he's going to be a, a big player in the league come a couple of years from now. Yeah. No, he's got a great burst. And uh, I would agree with you that on that, where he would probably fall. And uh, I didn't really see much on his tape or anything until today. And you're right, Darren Fox, the comp there is really legitimate. And it has, much, has a much silkier jump shot. He was hitting some threes. He's probably a, I don't know what his percentage, I can't remember off the top of my head, his, uh, the percentages, but I think he uh, was a guy that could hit a, hit a shot. Um, I think he's the guy that like that's such a deep point guard draft uh, as far as the talent's concerned that he could end up falling to a very very lucky team. Yep, and that's kind of the way I see it. I will ask you one other thing about your favorites before we get into like the top guys. Um, yep. You got Devin Vassell on here, who I actually personally did not care for. And I wanted to kind of pick your brain on that thought a little bit. From Devin Vassell from Florida State, for everybody out there. Well, how about you tell me why you don't like Devin okay. Vassell first? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me get to my thoughts on him here real quick. Um, one moment. Let me see. Okay. I uh, Ben, I told uh, Grant that, that he needed to come a little bit prepared, you know, because uh, you <laughs> were a, a big basketball mind and – we have a, a Google uh, doc with talk to points and I got on there today and he had paragraphs on paragraphs about, about <laughs> 20, 20 players. So he's, he's ready. Uh, he's ready for you. That's you know, I like. he's, uh, I want to talk about, I'll, I'll give you a few thoughts on him. So 
he was so high. You know, I was looking at like some of the uh, prospects, and he's kind of high on a lot of this. Um, and he's definitely got all the athletic talent that you would want. He's got swingman; he can really guard. It looks like he's he was really good in transition. Um, my concern with him was I was afraid that if he went really early, where he's kind of pegged to go, he could be considered the savior for a team. Whereas I'm not sure if he's fully developed as a guy who can create his own shot. He looked like a kind of like a jack of all trades guy you know jack of no trades like us jack of all trades but maybe not a complete master of one and that always concerned me just a little bit and he had some jump shots but i was a little worried about his consistency so that was like those are my knocks but you just when you tell me what you think yeah no i mean i think that's a, a great call out he's certainly not gonna ever be probably a primary ball handler and, and really probably not even a primary scorer on the team but i do think he's got an opportunity to step in the league as kind of a secondary or, or maybe tertiary score on a, on a decent team. I mean, the big thing with Devin Bassel is he's the top three and D prospect in this draft. I mean, kind of across the board, he's pretty good on ball, but really where his defense stands out and where, uh, you know, a lot of people kind of uh, call out his ability is when he's playing defense off the ball, kind of in, in that team defense role where mm-hmm. he's playing passing lanes and he's really good at filling the help side doubling over across and, and really got a high defensive IQ. So I think on that end of the court, that's where a lot of people will see value um, on the offensive end. I mean, he's definitely uh, a shooter uh, and that's the key. I don't think he's one that is necessarily going to be expected to create a whole lot off the dribble. Um, but in his two years at Florida state, he basically shot 42% from three both years. So you're right. I mean, he's streaky somewhat, but I think you're going to see that with most major shooters in the NBA that you're going to have some, you know, off games. But the important thing with a guy like Vassal is even in those poor games, you know, I almost like to see a game where you miss eight threes because I think that's more of a shooter's mentality of the fact that you're willing to keep throwing them up that probably translates better than the league to the league than a guy that, you know, his worst game might be missing two or three or four. Um, that probably signals more that once he starts missing, he's just going to shut down. And, and he can't really have that mentality, especially trying to transition to the, the NBA game. You got a, a longer three-point line. Uh, you know, it's going to take some adjusting. So that's why I like Vassal. I mean, I think he's probably one of the safer prospects in the draft. I, I agree. I don't think he's a high upside, a big game changer, but uh, to me, what I see him as is more fit, uh, you know, and, and like Charlie said, I'm a, I'm a big uh, Chicago Bulls fan. So I see his fit with like the Bulls as being great, where you've already got a Kobe White and you got a Zach Levine that are two primary scores that you can run on the court that are both dominant ball centric players can make a lot of moves inside. But you have an outlet now that that team doesn't really have um, in a guy like Vassal and also you know, Vassal would probably need to be paired with a guy like Zach Levine, who is completely incompetent on the defensive end of the court, where you allow Zach Levine yeah. to kind of be hidden on the worst offensive player and have a guy like Vassal step up. So that's more, I see his fit in the modern NBA really easy on a number of teams. And that's why I have him higher on my board and, and why I really like him. I agree. Yeah. I don't think he's going to be an F1 player ever, but I think he's going to have a solid role in the league for uh, a long time. And I think that shows some value in this draft that kind of has a lot of more risky upside takes. I think he's got some safety behind him. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. I'd, uh, 
I'd say that's a that's a pretty good point because I'm seeing here he's drawing comparisons to uh, like Chris Middleton and Robert Covington, who are players mm-hmm. exactly like you're saying. They're not just you know they're not going to be like the star on a team, but they're going to be that piece that gets a team over the edge to be a great team. You know, just a three and D guy. Um, yeah, so not a lot yeah. of you know uh, like huge upside, but a safe pick for sure. Yeah, and I sort of I was I misspoke a little bit earlier because he's more. Really, I was I was kind of just hammered in on your board, and the ringer also thinks very highly of him. But in in all likelihood, it'll probably be more in the fifteenth area. So if he falls to a decent franchise in that mid round, more that mid first, more often, uh, more so than yeah, I think yeah, actually that could be a great fit for him probably. Where the pressure's not as much on him, that would be great. Yep. But uh, but uh, let's uh, let's move in to. Uh, uh, our top 10 and so I figured the way this will work is we can just uh, I mean what do y'all what do y'all how, how do y'all want to do it I mean we can just uh, we can go off just let's just go off uh, we'll go off your top 10 Ben and uh, and then and then we'll just go down there and we can talk about it um, that works so if that works for y'all um, so for number one Mr. Ben Hala, the metal ball. Don't see a lot of, uh, you know, there's, it's not, uh, not a bad pick by any means. Uh, not a lot of controversy. Uh, what, what, what made you slay him for the number one pick of the 2020 draft? Uh, I mean, what the, the big thing with Lamelo is I think he sees the game in a way that, that most players don't. I mean, you know, there's a lot of, of, glamour and fame around his family which makes him recognized which i think with a lot of your kind of espn or or cbs type uh draft boards will put him up at the top just because it's kind of like a a clickbait idea that people recognize him so they put him up at the top um but i think as especially as you start getting into some of those uh really more granular probably uh more focused draft boards you continue to see lamelle at the top just because of the way he sees the game. I mean, even in the Australian league, you're talking about him playing against professionals. I mean, granted, you know, they're not NBA professionals, but he's averaging almost a three to one assist to turnover ratio uh, as an 18 year old playing, you know, against grown men overseas. So uh, I like mm-hmm. to see stuff like that. My concern with Lamelo uh, is in the half court. I mean, I think in transition, he's going to be dominant. He's got the size to be able to look over. Uh, whatever he's running towards, he's going to lead the break well. He knows how to pass well. Um, in the half court, he's going to struggle. He can't shoot right now at all. He shot 25% from three this last year uh, in Australia. Um, and he's certainly not afraid to throw it up from 45 feet, which <laughs> makes me even more concerned uh, just because he's got <laughs> a lot of confidence for somebody who can't shoot at all. Um, but, I mean, the upside's there. The guy – uh, again, has about a, a steal and a half a game, has a lot of elements he can work on. But, I mean, even if you just merely look at the fact that he's a six 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 seven point guard, uh, can handle the ball the way he does, pass the ball the way he does, I think, in my mind, he's he's an easy number one pick. But uh, I understand there's some other arguments. So do either of you guys have anybody that you'd consider probably a better overall prospect than LaMelo in this draft? Well, I would just – Chuck, you may, you may. Um, I'll just go real go quick, and then, and then, um, I mean, 
I, I, I think if I was drafting a player, I don't think that I could go any other direction than James Wiseman, even with the lack of, uh, you know, uh, visuals on him this year. Uh, I just, I don't know if that guy can develop his. Uh, we'll, we'll, I'll talk more about. We'll talk more about James Wiseman when we get to where you have him. But we, gee, you can. I'll just say I'll, I'll probably would draft James Wiseman first. But gee, you can go ahead. I'll uh, I'll talk a little Lamelo Ball, and I've got him at third on my on my rankings uh, personally. And I will agree with you that I think uh, I'll put this. I mean, he's not, he has the most eye popping game of the class. Uh, in the, with the blend of modern NBA and his measurables, he has the highest upside in this draft class by far to me. Um, and but yeah, I, I looked at the percentages and I just kind of looked at this the way it looked for his team overseas. I'm, I'm not saying he didn't play all the games very for, obviously he has has issues, but like um, I think he just has a tendency to like you said he just flies out of control sometimes. I think consistency is going to be his biggest yeah. thing. Um, yeah, his shooting wasn't phenomenal. He what was at forty two percent from the field, like not incredible by any means. But you're right. I mean, he, he sees the floor incredibly, and he definitely is the most NBA ready, probably the most NBA ready prospect. But it's just gonna be a matter of taming him and pulling him in. I think. Um, and my number one was Wiseman as well, and but we'll get to him a little more later. Yeah. I think um, uh, I think that anybody out of uh, out of this class that's gonna just like sell tickets and I mean it's obviously gonna be LaMelo Ball but there are those concerns with him playing 12 out of the 28 games that his uh you know league got done or I don't know do they finish they only have 28 games or I assume they just didn't finish but uh I don't know but yeah he only played 12 games this year um but I guess with that we'll move on to number two on Mr. Hollis rank Anthony Edwards from Georgia what uh, what do you what do you see in uh, in uh, Anthony Edwards uh, that you take him over players like Wiseman and uh, Tyrese Halliburton and uh, players like that? Yeah, so with Edwards, I think he you know is one of those guys I was tempted to put up at number one um, because of his just elite athleticism. I mean, is basically what it boils down to. I mean. He's a guy that has the size, has the speed, uh, has the bounce to, to make it in the NBA and looks like an NBA prospect, but there's just such a high likelihood that he just bombs out of the league and ends up being just another, you know, Shannon Brown that, or, or uh, Gerald Green, you know, that can throw down these crazy dunks and then you never hear of him again. Um, some of the things that make me feel good about uh, Anthony Edwards is really up until I think it was, I don't know if it was his junior year or senior year of high school, uh, he really was primarily a football prospect and didn't really play basketball at all. So what you're seeing on the court in Georgia and the SEC, which I consider to be one of the top probably three to maybe four college basketball conferences, um, to, to score 20 points a game when you have two to maybe three years of basketball experience under your belt is, is pretty incredible. Um, again, <clears throat> I like his... Uh, ability to hit difficult shots. Uh, I'm I'm very scared about his desire to shoot very difficult shots. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. every time he caught the ball wide open all season, he would sidestep like three steps towards a defender to take a fadeaway. Um, <laughs> and obviously, that uh, shot selection is terrible. 
Um, but I think it does kind of skew his numbers. I mean, when you look at it and you say, this guy only shot, you know, 29% from three, that's not great. And, and it isn't, but you also have to consider, I mean, I would say that 29% are all on a pretty high degree of difficulty shot. Um, Georgia didn't really have a whole lot of offensive firepower. So he got a lot of defensive attention and even the plays that he didn't, it's like he wanted to seek it out and find defensive attention before he took a fadeaway three from the corner. Um, so there's definitely a feel for the game concern that defensively, I mean, he is probably the laziest defender at the top end of the draft. Uh, he doesn't show a lot of intensity, but when he does, mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's like, he's got this burst where he's stealing the ball. He's, you know, running across the court. He's uh, doubling. He's doing this. And then the next possession, it's like he's tying his shoes while the rest of the team is playing defense. Like I, I don't get it. Right. Uh, and I love what he could be if you can kind of rein him in. But I think he's one of those guys that he's going to need to end up in a, a successfully run franchise to really succeed. Um, but if he does, and he ends up in a good franchise that can really develop him. I mean, I think the sky's the limit for where he can get. I think he's the only guy in this draft that really has that. And, and you can maybe say it of Wiseman too, but of guys that really have the the frame and the ability to be, you know, your MVP type caliber player. Whereas you got some other guys on here that maybe could be all NBA, all stars, but certainly not, you know, the top players in the league. Like I think Edwards right. has that upside that, He's also got a very high likelihood of just being a total bust. So that's kind of what keeps him at keeps him at two on my board. I'm gonna I'm gonna build on your uh, good organization point where uh, Anthony Edwards. Me and you are a little different on Anthony Edwards. I've got him at four. I'm a little more hesitant with him. And to me, it kind of I'm not gonna say it boils down to this, but I think it would be a great break for him if he gets a Warriors pick at the top of the end of this draft. And he gets into that system and they make him play defense because I agree with you. And that was my biggest knock with him is for one thing, he takes terrible shots a lot. He settles for threes that he should never settle for because he was far and away physically better than any defender in the SEC that was ever guarding him. Uh, he would always be able to take him to the rim and he would settle for those shots. Uh, he checks out on defense all the time. And you're right, but you're right, though. It is in no way uh, derivative of his own physical like abilities. He can flat out be better a better athlete than half of the court um and take on everybody so with him it's just gonna be a matter of coaching i think in a matter of dis- the disciplinary system he gets into if he gets into a dumpster fire franchise and he starts to sort of fade and check out uh it could be it could be ugly uh so i was, I was just a little worried about him i didn't like his body language on the court all the time yeah now chuck i would guess you probably have him at what like 30 after that push-off uh, dunk at the end of the Razorback. <laughs> well, no, see, I, I have him at uh, at three as uh, as much as that did sting. But going off <laughs> what you said about his about his defense, he's he's kind of got that uh, that like twenty sixteen uh, like twenty fifteen LeBron syndrome on defense. You know, just kind of taking <laughs> possessions off and and stuff like that. And typically, like I, the things I noticed about him is like because he was getting comparisons like like Jimmy Butler or like. Eric Gordon or people like that and typically those guys are like three and D like primarily they play a lot of defense and like they're good at defense so I think if he's going to have like a long like good NBA career I think he's going to have to like step up his defensive game um mm-hmm. but um I guess with that we'll go to number three 
Yeah, um, I want to talk to Ben about this one because okay, Onika Kwangu was a guy I was hating on when I went through these picks. Uh, and I, this was the biggest one for me. You have him all the way at three, and I'm very interested to hear your, uh, your reasoning behind this, Ben. From USC, for anyone USC. else that doesn't know. Yeah, so uh, I've got a Kongu up at three, which is definitely higher than you'll see uh, most places. But uh, there's a couple reasons why. And the first uh, and primary reason is his ability to play defense. I mean, his defensive IQ is through the roof. Uh, You'll see a lot of that through his defensive kind of box plus minus numbers of when he's on the court for USC and when he's off. Um, if you look at those numbers as a freshman, the only time we've seen his numbers before is from three guys, Carl Anthony Towns, Joel Embiid, and Erlens Noel. So I mean, two out of three of those are obviously all NBA players and potential you know, top defensive players in the league. Uh, he's just got that instinctive ability to, to understand not only when is the right time to, to jump, when's the right time to stay down, when's the right time to draw a charge, but uh, really knowing where on the court to be positionally. So the number that really like makes my mind kind of hurt uh, and, and kind of blows me away is looking at his, uh, his block percentage. So it's basically just a percentage to show of your opponent's shots from inside the two-point line, how often did you block their shot? Uh, and his number is at 9.8%. Uh, so basically one out of every 10 two-pointers that any team took against him, he blocked, uh, which is a pretty crazy number to me. I mean, he had like two and a half blocks a game, I think. Uh, and it's not like he's playing at scrubs. I mean, he, he's in the Pac-12. So that side of the ball is where I get most excited. Um, I really like his energy that he plays with offensively. Uh, I think he's a good kind of, uh, role man. I think he's the guy that really, if I'm going to uh, develop a comparison, it's going to be a guy like Montrez Harrell um, that, you know, has that kind of elite athleticism, maybe slightly undersized, but could put him at the five um, based on kind of his defensive ability. And he's got a lot of mobility offensively. I, I like the way he handles the ball. Um, obviously, I think there's areas of his game that he could work on. He shot pretty well from the free throw line and kind of that extended. I think I'll have to work on his range and, and kind of push that out. But ultimately, when I compare a guy like that to a guy like Wiseman, which I know we'll talk about next, and, and there's kind of this this balancing act is I think the way that the game is moving and the way that, that court spacing is becoming more important, and it's more a game about where you need to be on the court and not just how big are you, uh, but really having that IQ of knowing where you need to be at the right time. I think he's the top or at least one of the top two defenders in this class. Um, and that mixed with some definitely offensive upside that I see from him is why I've got him up at three. Okay. That's all fair points. I was, uh, it was really just an eye test thing for me. Um, you definitely, your, your blocks per shot statistic there was pretty eye popping. He's definitely, uh, he, might, he definitely makes a huge impact on that side of the court. Uh, my biggest concern with him really was just the fact that he seems a little, I mean, he's definitely built for the modern NBA. He definitely passes the ball. Well, he definitely see, he has great touch around the rim. Um, but for a guy that's listed, I think as a five or maybe he would play for an NBA. He's a little, he's a little wiry for me. I'm a little afraid he would get, uh, he would get a little bit more bullied in the, uh, NBA game. But I think 
depending on who he's matched up with and what kind of you know situation he's in, he could definitely thrive. Yeah, yeah, I, I think uh, that could happen. I think that's okay. a big risk for him. It's just he's he's a he's not as tall as most modern fives, and he can't shoot as well as most modern fours. So. I agree. Yeah. I mean, he's going to have to develop some kind of offensive game to be able to play the four more often because I think that's where he belongs. Uh, he can kind of switch on to really any position. So I think he needs to get to a point where he can play the four. He'll probably struggle some at the five, but I think he'll be able to uh, make that transition sooner in his career than, than later. I think, you know, since that's kind of his one area of focus to just be kind of honing in that jump shot, I think that uh, it's something he could do, but it, it's definitely a risk, you know, and, and more just a, yeah. a, a a gut feel on my side than any hard numbers on it. Yeah, he's got a great touch though, so he could very well develop. It seemed like he was pretty adept around the rim at getting some good floaters and uh, spins on guys. Just developing that part of his offensive game probably, I think, would be yeah. his biggest steps. Yeah, I uh, I love that uh, the Montrez Harrell comparison, Ben. That uh. Because even as as Clippers he may be, I, I still love watching uh, Montrose Harrell play basketball. Um, but I think I think Okungu has like one of the most just like out of this class, like one of the most NBA ready just like bodies, and just like being able like things like you said, like if he's able to space the floor and develop like that offensive threat, I think he's got a long NBA career ahead of him. Um, but any other thoughts on? Mr. Okungu from USC. Oh, if ben not, some great points on that. We'll go Wiseman yeah. if you'd like to. Number four, James Wiseman. Um, he's uh, he's he's high up on, uh, on a lot of people's, and he's and he's lower on some. Uh, what made you put a, put him at four? Yeah, so I still think that he kind of closes out the top tier for me. I think that those four are my top four, and if they moved around, <clears throat> I wouldn't you know, be upset about it. I mean, I think any of those four are all solid selections, really one through four, and they're kind of my tier A. Um, I think, obviously, James Wiseman, when you talk about body for the draft, I mean, seven foot one, seven foot four wingspan. Uh, talk about an NBA-ready body. I mean, he kind mm-hmm. of fits uh, all the checks there. My main concern with Wiseman is if he played 10 years ago or 15 years ago, I think he could be the most dominant player in the NBA at some point. Uh, I'm concerned with the modern fit only because, uh, and, and again, I'm kind of focused on the defensive side, which may not, you know, really matter as much with the way it's becoming an offensive league, but uh, his foot speed is he's, he's very quick in a, in a line. I mean, he can, he can run on a rope quickly. His lateral quickness is, is very slow and I'm concerned with the kind of modern pick and roll. What was that? Uh, That's a very DK Metcalf of him. If you've seen DK Metcalf's. uh, Yeah. But go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. No, you're good. So I see him uh, really just uh, struggling to uh, be able to keep up with, you know, a point guard or shooting guard that he gets switched on to. Um, offensively, I think he's fine. I mean, he'll probably develop a pretty decent jumper, but where to, and I mean, the struggle is you don't really have a lot of tape. I mean, you know, you have basically three games at Memphis to look at his, his, his offense is fine. Most of his post moves are back to the basket and there's not really a whole lot that he did 
at least this season. And really, even if you look at some of the work he did on the prep circuit, uh, like was it facing the basket? Um, and in the NBA today, it's a lot more of a face up league that he's not just going to be able to push guys around in the post. Uh, I think, you know, he's not as strong and, and generally he tries to kind of stay away from contact more than, you know, when you think about the modern NBA bigs that really succeed, you know, you're, your Joel Embiid that want to go right at your chest. I don't see that as much from Wiseman. He's more of a finesse player. So <clears throat> for me, it's not necessarily that I don't like Wiseman. It's just I'm interested to see how he uh, modifies his game to fit the modern NBA because I just don't see him being one that he can play the same way he would have at Memphis or the way he did, you know, the EYBL circuit. I don't see that being a style of play that's going to work for him in that next level. So I'll be interested to see what kind of work he puts in to, to make that translation. Yeah, those are all pretty fair points. I have him at number one on my board because, truthfully, I just think I think he's an absolute freak. Um, I think, I mean, when you have a frame like that guy with that kind of upside, it's just hard for me to not fall in love a little bit. Um, to your point about the jump shot, I think, I really think it's got a, a good chance of turning out well. I, I think I have pretty high hopes for his jump shot. It's a pretty form. Uh, I think it's something that could really develop for him. And I just think with a guy with that kind of athletic ability, I think he can fit. A lot of his problems are very, very workable, a lot very fixable. I think uh, if he's able to get in the right, with the right coach and sort of in the right development uh, going into the draft leading up, uh, with the right people, I think he could really end up shaping his game, like you said, to match the NBA uh, world. But like physically, I just think he'll have no issues really meeting up with some of the NBA talent that's out there. I think, um, I think uh, he's got all the tools. It's just a matter of development, and he say, he seems like a pretty high character dude. So we'll we'll see what happens with him. For sure. Um, okay. I'm excited to get to this next one because there's a lot of uh, a lot of variance here uh, in people's ranks as I'm looking through the big board. Uh, Killian, is it Killian or Killian? Killian, Killian Hayes. I believe it's Killian. Yep. Yeah, uh, our second international player from France. Um, then you had him at five. Um, gee, where where does he stand on, on your on your on your list? Okay, yeah, I'll go first with Killian Hayes because. I watched the tape on Killian Hayes and I completely fell in love with him. He passed all the eye test tests for me. He was second on my board. Uh, I didn't know much about this kid and I began to watch some of his highlights and for, I mean, he like, it's kind of the same point, you know, he's playing a professional league against grown men and his game is just so modern and just so prepared for the league that we have right now. He's got a pure, beautiful step back. He's got a pure left-handed jumper. Um, he he doesn't look like he's moving quick. It doesn't seem like he's moving super quickly all the time, but I feel like he just has a certain delight about him. Um, he's a guy that will probably be a little bit of a gamble, but he's a guy that I'm really into and I've become pretty pretty big on. He's got great long arms. He's got a good wing. I mean, great wingspan. I'm big on this kid. Uh, I think he's got a very good chance to be a legitimate pro. He does his big. I mean, a lot of the biggest knocks are about his his right hand and how well he mixes up his moves. But I think with a hesitation step, like he's got a very hardened look hezzy that he's got going against his defenders that uh, it may not be a big issue for him. Uh, he looks like a baller to me. I'll let you go ahead, Ben. What do you think about him? I wanted to hear what you had to say about him. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I love him too, and he's kind of the top of that. Kind of second tier for me, I mean, obviously there's some concerns about the, the translation from, you know, playing in Europe to playing in the U.S., and, uh, you know, his speed is, is the main area of concern is can he really pick up his pace fast enough to play in the modern NBA? Um, but once you get past that piece, I mean, he's a guy that I really like, and, uh, you know, again, a guy that I love that you have enough at two, and, and I could see him really – being a fit up there, <clears throat> one of the things I like most about him, when you look at a lot of the analytics around it, when people will try to project an NBA player's three-point shooting, uh, the best way to actually do it is by looking at the, the player's free-throw shooting and not their college three-point shooting. Uh, and the reason is it becomes more about uh, your form and your consistency than it is how well did you shoot it behind the college three-point line. Uh, Killian has shot 91% from free throw this season. He shot in the upper eighties every year he's played, uh, in Europe, uh, and he's shooting almost 40% from three as well. So he's kind of got both pieces to his game. Um, he's, uh, a good passer. He does have some pretty high turnover numbers where he, I think tries to force it at times. But I mean, the real reason I see him as a top five prospect is, you know, you talked about that kind of James Harden step back. And the craziest thing about it is if you look at anything or, or you listen to anybody that talks about him playing from two years ago, he didn't have a step back at all. Like that wasn't even in his arsenal. And in one year he developed not only a step back, but this elite level step back that's kind of almost looks like he's taken like 48 steps like Harden does on his step back and, and knocks it down with that kind of, you know, left-handed, uh, uh, you know, shot that just looks beautiful. And so I really liked his ability to develop. Obviously, if you can develop something like that in a year uh, as an 18 year old, he's going to come into the NBA at 18. Uh, I really like his upside to develop. I think a, a franchise that's kind of in that range that has been rumored with him. I mean, I'd love to see him on a, on a team like the Knicks that desperately needs somebody who knows anything about the game of basketball <laughs> and can score at all. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that a team like that could really use a guy like Killian that I think of these guys is probably the easiest quick insert and really take over a team type, uh, score, um, that even the top four need a lot more development on the offensive side of the ball. And I think he's the first really polished offensive player on this board. Um, the Knicks haven't had a lot of help, uh, a lot of luck with the French, the French in the past. So we'll see if he changes the (laughs) the vibe on that a little bit. (laughs) That's true. <laughs> Golly. Uh, the poor Knicks, man. Um, but is that all we have on Killian Hayes? Um, yeah, I fell in love with this kid. I think it was just a left-handed jumper. Yeah. I think it's just so I, pretty uh, that I just really got into it. I knew I knew you had fallen in love, G, so that's why I, wanted, I was excited to, to bring him up because I knew it was going to be. Yeah. Uh, it was perhaps. Yeah. I had him at six as opposed to fives. Um, yeah. But – Moving on to number six on the big board. This guy, not really a fan of, didn't really pass my eye test, didn't really like his numbers all that well. Tyrese Halliburton from Iowa State. Ben? Yeah, so another guy that I agree, the eye test, it makes you uncomfortable watching him shoot the ball. Like, I watched it, and I watched it, and I watched it, and – it feels like I don't know what's wrong, but something feels wrong about it. But every single clip, it's going in and it's going in and it's going in. I mean, 
if you look at his last, I think it's two or three years that he shot over 40% from three. I mean, he's got an ability to hit it, although it looks weird. My main concern with Halliburton is he doesn't do a lot off the dribble. There's not a lot that he creates for himself. And, and like we were talking about earlier uh, with Vassals, this is a guy that's going to have to have somebody that creates for him, uh, that he's going to kind of have to play off ball. Um, the reason I think he will be able to do that is because you look at his body. I mean, he's only 6'5", so he could be, you know, considered slightly undersized, especially because he's only about a buck seventy-five to, to play the two. But he's got a seven-foot-long wingspan, so you got a guy that can definitely defend. I mean, thinking about a guy being 6'5", but having a wingspan that's almost the same size as James Wiseman's wingspan uh, is pretty encouraging, especially for a guy that can shoot the ball. So he's got great vision. I mean, this last year you're looking at a guy averaging 16, 6, and 6, basically, uh, really high IQ is, is one thing he is known for um, and his ability, not only, uh, especially on the pick and roll. Uh, there's a lot of talk of him uh, not only just looking for the roll man, but actually being able to hit the skip pass to the opposite corner and opposite wing uh, when it's available. So he's, he's got a lot of those elements of his game that'll be valuable in a positionless NBA. Um, but I definitely have some concerns just on the ball handling side and then him being able to create for himself. I mean, he's going to have to figure out something on that regard. And I don't know what it is, but he's got to, whatever he's got to do, whether it's just like kicking his leg out and, and, you know, doing some kind of like swaggy P fade away, he's got to find a cooler way to, to take his three point shots. You know, if he wants to be an icon, he's got to, he's got to look like he's got to get some swag to his shot. So. No, um, I'll agree with you on that a little bit. And to my notes on the Tyrese Halliburton uh, debate on this, uh, his highlights were really, really entertaining. And, like, he's a guy that can make some really awesome, incredible passes. He might – he seems like he may push the envelope a little bit too, uh, two times and force the, force the spot a little more than he should. But he – yeah, I know he hits the shot when he gets it. Um, it's ugly, but he hits the shot. But the thing that really worries me the most about him, above all else, is just the fact that he doesn't seem to be shooting very well off the dribble. And for a guy that's as ball-centric as he seems to be as a, as a playmaker, I'm just not sure how he will fit in a NBA backcourt. You see all the great guards in the game right now, and they're not really – these point guards that can shoot aren't getting a whole lot off the, off the catch. You know, you got to be able to sort of make a move for yourself and hit a shot. So I'm a little concerned, and his release is so slow. I'm just not sure if it's going to be quick enough to play. Um, yeah, it's, it's just an eye test thing. And it's, it's really he, – he does all the intangibles. He has all the numbers, but uh, those are my biggest concerns with Tyrese. Yeah, for sure. Um, so moving on to number seven. We've already really talked about him. Uh, if there's any other thoughts uh, on uh, Kira Lewis Jr. from Alabama, we can give him or we can move to number eight. Uh, I'm good to go with eight. What about you, Ben? Yeah. All right. All right. That works for me. And then at number eight, uh, another one of Mr. Holloway's favorites, Sadiq Bay. Um, so Sadiq is from Villanova. They had a pretty good year. Uh, uh, what, 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 do we, what do we think about it? What do we like? What do we not like, Ben? Yeah, so, I mean, the biggest concern and the biggest red flag that a lot of people think is there is just his – his speed. I mean, if he's going to play the three in the NBA, he's going to have to be quick enough to stay in front of, I mean, that's the deepest position in the NBA. I mean, you got a lot of great point guards, but in terms of the best players in the league, you're talking about 
you know, LeBron, you're talking about Giannis, you're talking about Kawhi. If you're not on the Jack and No Trades podcast, you're talking about Paul George. You know, you're talking about the <laughs> hey, <Paul man>. <laughs> hey, hey. Uh, you're talking about these small forwards that are are very versatile, and the concern is with Bay's ability to defend at the next level. I see him kind of in that same regard of, of Devin Bastel we were talking about earlier that, I mean, he's never going to be a, a killer that is going to take over a team. But I think as a guy that can kind of uh, play in the corners, uh, you mentioned Robert Covington earlier. That's a guy I consider very similar to Sadiq Bay's abilities that uh, he had the fourth best three point shooting percentage in the entire country in college basketball last year at six foot eight. So mm-hmm. by far, I mean, you're talking about, it's like, if you look at the list, it's like six footer, six footer, six footer playing in, you know, whatever the America East hybrid something conference that you never heard of that, you know, sends whatever team steps into the NCAA tournament every year. And then all of a sudden the fourth guy's like this guy played in the big East at Villanova, big stage, big body from that alone gives me a lot of confidence because that's what the NBA is six foot eight guys that can shoot the rock. Um, yeah. Offensively. I think he's, he's got a lot of mass to him. So I think his ability to get to the rim isn't going to be about his quickness. It's going to be uh, really making sure to develop his lower body more to make sure that he can push guys off uh, of his spot uh, so that he can finish at the rim. Uh, and defensively is where people are concerned. I think he's a very underrated defender um, I'd have to look. There's a, a guy from CBS Sports who who wrote an article on it up him being one of the best uh, underrated defenders in the class um, because uh, if you look at the matchups that he's played this year, um, you can look at guys like Marcus Howard that he played against twice. He played against Devon Dotson. Um, he played multiple times uh, both uh, against Creighton with some of their uh, top-end talent and there's one other guy he played against that I can't remember right now off the top of my head. Let me see if I can find him really quick. Um, I don't know if I'm going to find him in here. Um, anyway, he's played a lot of these guys. I think I was thinking of Tyshawn Alexander and then Miles Powell from Seton Hall. So he had a couple conference matchups that are basically guards. And if you put together all the numbers um, from those guys, they shot like 31% in the games that he was guarding them. So those are all smaller wings. I think people are focused too much on his body not being able to guard an NBA four. And to me, I see him as an NBA three that if you need to can step up and potentially stay in front of an NBA two guard, uh, definitely not quick enough to play against a point guard, but I think he's shown his ability to kind of lock down some of these top tier talents in the NCAA this year. Quick guys, yeah. he knows how to play off them, but, but still contest shots. So that's why I like Bay, but but I certainly understand the concerns. I think he's got some risk, but uh, to me, he just seems like that kind of three and D core piece. Again, easy to inject into any lineup in the NBA and provide some media value, which I think on the back end of the lottery is kind of where you start seeing those guys fall and that, that they seem to be a fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's funny. I didn't know much about him coming in, but uh, he really screams Mikhail. He screams Mikhail Bridges to me a little bit. Another guy from Villanova. Yeah, yeah. Um, they remind me a lot of each other, kind of the same, same body type, same kind of longer wingspans. Uh, I mean, obviously Bridges had a lot more hype coming out, but yeah, uh, he seems like a guy who's got a high upside who could really start to play some ball. 
Um, you and never I, have any shortage of three and D guys in the NBA. So you can always, yeah. And I like you bringing up bridges. Cause that's definitely one of the reasons I mean, I've got him in this range. Cause this is basically the same range in the draft where bridges went. I think bridges went 10, but uh, mm-hmm. I think he fits. If, if bridges was up there with his draft, it was much more loaded on the top end than this draft. Then right. why would, why would he not be considered at least close in that same range? And I think a lot of people, kind of sleep on them, put them late in the first round. And if you can be a team in the twenties, a team like the Mavs, for example, can take in the twenties and grab a guy like this to play alongside wow. Porzingis and yeah. kind of send the corner. I mean, I like it fit like that, that on my board, I think he's going to succeed much better than whatever position he's drafted in, which is, which is why he's high on my board, but I don't expect anybody to take him at eight. You know, I just think he's probably going to produce at about that eighth overall value. When you look at careers compared to some of these other guys. Yeah. Um, Chuck, I was hoping we could go to Aaron Neesmith after Vassal on his 10. That, uh, that is the direction we are headed, my friend. Um, Aaron Neesmith. So correct me if I'm wrong. This is the guy that got hurt in the middle of the season. The season ended, but he was leading the SEC in scoring. It was like the yes. game before they played the Hogs, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so what do we think about him, Ben? I mean, he, he uh, if I remember correctly, he was the SEC league scorer going into his uh, season ending, ending injury. So. Yeah, I mean, for Neesmith, it is all about the shot. I mean, at this point, this is a guy that, again, he only played 14 games this year, but he basically, if he had played enough games to qualify, he would have led the NCAA in three-point percentage. He had 52% of his threes, and that's he shot 8.6 of them a game. So this guy was launching up two-and-a-half threes a quarter and hitting 52% of them. Now, granted, you know, some of that's in – non-conference play and and he plays for Vandy so it's not like they were ever really competitive to win any games anyway so you know all of those sure are legitimate knocks but I think once you get to again this kind of range in the draft I'd be willing to throw a flyer out there on a guy that shoots 52 percent from three um, average 23 points a game yeah he probably has some concerns for them coming off the injury and and playing for a bad team but uh, regardless of who you are, I don't care if you're Chuck Deschwind, if you walk out there and you hit mm-hmm. 4.3 out of 8.2 threes a game, I'm going to put you in my lottery every time because that's the NBA today. So it's not a very analytical approach for me there. It is just simply you got to take a flyer on a guy that hits at that rate shooting the ball. That, I mean, he almost led the, the SEC in total three-pointers made if you look at players for the whole season. And he played 14 games. So right. his <laughs> shooting know. clip blew me. His shooting clip blew me away. Um, I wanted to talk to you about him because he's another guy I was pretty high on as well. I felt like it was really underrated and fell on some of these boards. But this guy, I mean, it, for one thing, yes, he's an absolute flamethrower. But I also love his athletic ability. I guess six ten wingspan is pretty pretty heavy. Like kind of a beast. Um, he really projects to me as a potential like there's a high ceiling here. I think if he gets more going off his own dribble and getting to the basket and get more comfortable against uh, guys finishing the ground, the rim, I think this guy could really, really pop. Like, I mean, and like you said, I mean, if you're hitting 52% of your threes and you qualify with what under 15 attempts in the year, I think is what's shown here. I mean, that's ridiculous. This guy was absolutely raining from three. I mean, I think, yeah, I think this guy is just really an eye test thing. He's a flat out baller. Um, I just think there's too much talent here for this guy to not be 
in the lottery in the lottery area. I, I would a, a lucky team is going to get this guy. I think. Um, Chuck, I was hoping we could, uh, I know we're, I have well, a, you go ahead, you go ahead. So here, uh, so that, that's, uh, that's it for the top 10, everybody. But what I wanted to do is mention just a couple quick players names, throw them at Ben G. If you have any comments about them, uh, you're mm-hmm. obviously more than welcome to jump in, but players that, uh, are sort of, you know, within like the, the media conglomerates, they're ranked a little bit higher than they were on your big boards. Players like. I'll give you the first one. You can just give us a quick thing on why they didn't make your top 10 and, and how you feel about them. And we'll start with RJ Hampton. Man, I, and, and Chuck knows this, I hate RJ Hampton. Just as a player, I just, I don't see it. He averaged like eight points a game in the NBL. If you're going to translate to the NBA where the players are better, I don't see how you expect him to score more than eight points a game against players in the NBA. I mean, he, he struggled to even get minutes. You look at him, he averaged like 20 minutes a game. I mean, he didn't play very much, but I just, I'm not a fan. I think he's got some athletic ability. I think he's going to be one of those guys that the Oklahoma city thunder draft. They always draft a hyper athletic guy who can't shoot the ball. He shot like 25%. I mean, he just, I don't, I don't get him. I don't understand why he's so high, uh, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was going to just touch on that real quick. Uh, just if this kind of gives you all out there any any kind of indication of what kind of player this guy is, his first comp is Will Barton. Ooh, <laughs> supposed to be. This is supposed to be a lottery guy. So, like, I mean, what, what am I seeing from this guy? And Will Barton can shoot a lot better than this kid can. I just, I yeah. don't see it. He can't shoot. He's He's fast, so he can get to the rim. But can he finish at the rim? I mean, that's a good question because he averaged eight points. Yeah. 67% from the line, like you said earlier. There's not much translation seeing there to an external, outside, exterior shot. It, it just doesn't look good for him projecting his career to me. There's not a lot to like. I agree. All right. And then we'll move on. I just have two more, and we'll go to Cole Anthony of North Carolina. He, you had him ranked at, uh, well, you had him ranked at twelve, so just outside the ten. Uh, but a lot, a lot of people, uh, a lot of their mocks have him a lot higher. Why is the, uh, why is that? I think that I like him as an offensive prospect. I mean, if you look at his per hundred possession numbers in the ACC, the ACC plays kind of a slower brand of basketball. Uh, in general, you've got your teams like Virginia that like crawl up and down the court. Um, he's averaged like 33 points, nine rebounds and seven assists per hundred possessions, something like that. So he's certainly got the offensive ability. My main concern here is just with body and with fit. He's like six, three, but his wingspan's like six, three or six, two, um, which will really limit you as a defender. And he's, he's pretty slow laterally. Um, I think he could potentially be that, you know, guy off the bench who, who, lights it up and gives you a lot of offensive ability, but he's certainly someone you're going to have to hide defensively all the time, in my opinion. So I still think he's a guy that's in the lottery. Uh, he's got a lot of value, but I can't go much higher than that just because the, the, the problems or the concerns I have with Cole Anthony are not something that can be fixed by training in the NBA or working on something. It's kind of like, sorry, dude, but you got a small wingspan, you know, like, I don't right. know what to tell you. 
you know, I can't help you improve that. Whereas a lot of the guys I've got above him might have more flaws today, but certainly have flaws that they can work to improve. Uh, they can kind of hit that high end upside that I think Cole Anthony kind of dropped short. Definitely. Would you compare Cole Anthony to say a, a, a Kobe White? Yeah, you could put him in that category. I still think Kobe White's a lot quicker um, with the ball. I mean, they probably have the same ability to to shoot and, and to kind of be creators and scorers and Cole Anthony may be better, but I think Kobe White's ability to get to the rack because of his speed uh, will help him a lot, whereas I don't think Cole Anthony has that same first kind of quick burst three, four steps that, that a right. guy like Kobe White has. So. Right. Uh, and the last player I have, we can just touch on real quick. You had him at 16. Uh, that is Auburn's Isaac Okoro. Um, what, 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 what's the, uh, what, what do we, what do we think? What do we think? Yeah. Um, with Okoro, my main concern is offensively. Again, uh, the main comp he draws is Jimmy Butler because he's got a lot of defensive ability. Um, but you know, he, you know, could develop this outside shot, this mythical outside shot, I think what people fail to realize is that Jimmy Butler was like a one in a million type player in the way he developed in the NBA that most players don't. Um, so Akuro is a guy that most people have consensus top five, top six. Uh, he can't shoot the three, can't shoot free throws. Uh, he hit nine shots all year on pull-ups. So every shot he took was either at the rim or off a pass. So if we're talking about guys that can't create for themselves, if the amount of times he had the ball in his hands for Auburn and he made nine pull-ups, including non-conference everything, that's like major red flag to me in the NBA is all about creating your own shot. So uh, I think he's got some athleticism. He'll be able to contribute defensively on the ball, but uh, he's, again, not a great off-the-ball defender, not a great team defender. He, he kind of likes to get baited after steals, things like that. But uh, I think he's fine. I think he'll have some value, but, I mean, I see his – you know, upside being Tony Allen opposed to other people seeing his upside being Jimmy Butler. So it depends on how much you believe. I mean, it goes back to the conversation we had earlier about getting in the right system. If he's in a perfect system, right. you know, they can help develop him on that side then then maybe, but I've just got a lot of concerns that make me much lower on him than pretty much anybody that I've seen out there. Yeah. Definitely. I wanted to touch on Isaac core because I also hate him in the top six. I don't know what this, I don't know what this infatuation is with him. He he definitely can he definitely can guard the ball well. He can guard in all positions well. But I mean, I see Michael K. Gukers shorter version. I mean, I mean, this yeah. guy has no offensive ability. Like, where am I supposed to see it? He he can't shoot a three. He has his percentages aren't translating. He's got no free throw percentage. I mean, I've never seen him create for himself. He had a few highlight dunks, but I mean, I just. I don't know where the I don't know where the obsession comes from. I I think everybody wants to see, like you said, Jimmy Butler, Kawhi Leonard. I think they are all forcing that into happening, but it's not everybody. It's just certain guys. So I, I don't see it here either. I, I don't think there's enough. Uh, one last thing, Chuck. I wanted to get his opinion before we're done. Obi Toppin, where is he been? Okay. And I'll try to be quick, but if there's a player that I can talk more about than anybody in the draft, it's probably <laughs> Obi Toppin. Uh, and I love that, uh, that Chuck has him at like four because I, I really want to see that someday, hopefully he moves Obi Toppin down because uh, I, if there's anybody that I'm not a believer in, in this whole draft that I think is like, wow. you could go ahead and put a stamp on being a bust. 
uh, that's Obi Toppin for me. There's four main reasons, and, and I'm actually going to have a full article that I'm going to put together on Obi Toppin and, and basically why mm. nobody should use a top five, top ten draft pick on him. Uh, first issue is his age. I mean, he is like the grandfather of all sophomores. He's 22 and a half. He's going to be 23 by the time he starts in the league. Uh, so last year alone, you have three NBA all-stars that are younger than him uh, and four guys that made the all-star game that are within six months. So guys like Devin Booker, who has been in the NBA for like a millennium is only six months older than Obi Toppin. So you basically already taken all these years that he should be developing in the NBA and people see him as a sophomore. So they think that's great, but he's like the oldest sophomore to ever exist. Um, and so <laughs> lose a lot of yeah, I'm 22 <laughs> yeah. and if you look at the last 15 years uh post players that were drafted in the top 10 that were 22 years or older listen to this list awesome guys Sheldon Williams you know big baller Sheldon Williams Frank Kaminsky Frank the Tank oh, Ekpe Udo Ekpe Udo the best of all Hashim the beat that guy really panned out. Uh, <laughs> Channing Fry, Channing Fry, who who is an outside shot, and last is Joakim Noah, who definitely was the best of any of those guys. But what you saw with Joakim Noah is he had a very, very, very small kind of prime. That in the NBA you're trying to extend that prime. You want a guy who's going to be in this prime stage for seven, eight years. You know, unless it's LeBron, then it's like twenty five years. But for most of these guys, you've only got five or six all NBA caliber years. Joe Kimi had like one or two because he came in the NBA so old and didn't have time to develop. Uh, offensive rebounding, this is a guy that played in the A-10. So you're talking about like fringe Division One athletes. Uh, he basically, if you look at offensive rebound percentage, how often he should rebound it. I want to hear your guess, both of you guys. I want to see who can get closer. I'm guessing where Obi Toppin's offensive rebound percentage ranked in the country this last year. He took first stab at it. Uh, 56th. I'll go, I'll go in that and I'll go at 82. Obi Toppin, offensive rebound percentage was number 911 in the country. That's pretty startling. Nine, 911. You're talking about this elite athlete that should be putting back dunks, grabbing offensive boards, extending possessions like Isaac Okoro that we talked about, Devin Vassell, both had higher offensive rebound percentages than Obi Toppin. Even his own brother, Jacob Toppin, that played for Rhode Island, better offensive rebounder than Obi Toppin, this you know mythical, legendary character. Uh, outside of that, the last two things, and I'll be quick, uh, shooting, People talk about him being a 39% three-point shooter, which is true. Um, but if you look at a lot of what he did, he shot a lot off the dribble from the top of the key, which is weird. Um, something that is not going to really be probably the role he fits into in the NBA. If you look at his pick and pop numbers, really bad, shot about 27%. If you look at his no dribble jumpers all year, he's at like 23%. And he's got a pretty slow release. So when you look at his NBA translation, I mean, the NBA four plays pick and pop, plays no dribble jumpers from the corner, 
And I just don't see those areas being as well. I mean, you're not going to have Obi Toppin dribbling the ball to the court and taking the spot up three like you did in the A-10. You know, it's just not going to happen. Um, and the last one is just his defense. I mean, he's got good in-in speed again, but pretty poor lateral quickness uh, and doesn't really have a whole lot of strength to play down low. I mean, he's got a strong upper body, but his lower body's pretty weak. Uh, so I don't hate his defense, but he's kind of in that weird, like, is it, should he guard a three? Should he guard a four? Kind of a tweener that I don't think is going to ever be an elite defender to cover up a lot of these other areas of concern. So uh, that's a couple of them. I'm going to have an article coming out uh, on Hall Hoops that'll kind of break down a little more the number on those things. But uh, yeah, I'm. if you want to go ahead and, and label me as the Obi Toppin hater, uh, we'll see what happens. Maybe I'll be proved wrong. You know, maybe he'll get drafted by the Warriors and, and that'll mess me up because the Warriors can develop anybody. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm way out, way out on the Obi Toppin line. You are the on, uh, very much. Well, that's, that's, the, you know, harsh words for Obi Toppin. Um, but an interesting thing that popped up my mind is now, if you could pick one player out of this draft, that would be the scariest if they got drafted by the Warriors, seeing as how you say they can, I mean, they develop stars as much as it pains me to say it. Who would that player be that would be, you would be the most like scared for your Chicago Bulls, let's say, uh, just like watching them develop over the years? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think that there's kind of two sides of it. So if the Warriors end up number one overall, Honestly, I really actually like the fit of, of LaMelo Ball, which I think is weird because they're already so guard heavy. Um, so but true. a guy you're talking about, RDB and 6'6", and being a distributor um, to allow Curry and Thompson to continue to do their work off the ball and, and the way that Kerr and that team can bring in free agents that can shoot the rock. Uh, I think having a secondary creator, because we've never really seen that from Clay. Uh, it's kind of all been on Steph's back to be the creator for the rest of the team. <laughs> As he gets older... I think you start to pass some of those reins ball handling over to LaMelo um, and it, it really opens things up. Uh, so on the top end, if they first overall LaMelo, I think obviously James Wiseman's another good fit just because they're glaring need at center. Um, mm-hmm. So those are two on the top end. If you're talking later in the draft, a guy I love, if they could find a way to land Jalen Smith from Maryland, uh, he's a tall, really thin rail thin guy but he shoots the rock. Like he already shot 38% from three in college. He's like seven feet tall, um, pretty good rim protector. He's got to add some weight, but he's the guy that I think would be terrifying if the Warriors could land him in the late first, or maybe in the early second round that could, could cause some real problems. Cause the Warriors, have, I mean, Draymond is like a decent shooter, although he looks like he's shooting with a backpack on all the time. If you got them an actual legitimate three point threat, to play the four or the five that could step out and completely open the lane. I think it'd be terrifying for all of the teams. Definitely. Yeah. I think for me, it's Anthony Edwards. I touched on earlier. I just think he's got the most like disciplinary issues that they could iron out. But I also think uh, not really even fit wise. Like, I mean, he's really would just be a talent grab more than anything. It wouldn't be anything to do with, it would just be a stop. It would be like, let's just best available type deal. But um, yeah, Jalen Smith. He was the guy with the sports goggles, wasn't he? He he can pull it out. Yeah. yeah. Yep. But uh, G, do you have any other questions? I have one more, but I'll see. I was going to see if you had any more. 
No, I'll let you finish it off. I could go all day with Ben. Uh, and yeah, <laughs> we could we could go all night, but I'll let you close it with another question here. Yeah, but uh, but before I say it, thanks for coming on, Ben. This has been fun. I know it's uh, probably run a little longer than we expected, but I figured that would happen. Um, I hope uh, we're not keeping you up too late. But uh, my last question will be: I'd be remiss to to not ask, but what what are your thoughts on the return of the NBA, uh, the twenty two team playoff, the Chicago Bulls getting left out? That's probably not a huge factor to it, but uh, what, was, what are your thoughts about the whole thing? And, and then uh, give us a finals prediction. Yeah, so I think that uh, the return is awesome. I'm pumped. I already told uh, my wife, like, hey, July 31st, like, that's going to be a me night. Like, I don't I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to be watching basketball somewhere. And Mark know, we it have down. A, a little yeah, we have a we have a baby at the house, and like you're gonna have to find some care for the baby because I'm I'm focused in. So uh, I'm definitely excited about it. I actually love the fact that the Bulls aren't involved because I hope that means we fire Jim Boylan. Uh, I didn't want him to get one last chance to try to prove himself as being a mediocre coach in the NBA. So uh, I'm fine with the Bulls season uh, being over um, and open up that search again. Um, I'm interested to see how it all plays out. I mean, I think the whole the whole thing's kind of just a big conspiracy to get Zion in the playoffs. Um, and so I really, really, really hope the Grizz can hold true and uh, hold on to that eight seed and, you know, not allow the uh, the corruption of the NBA that's just all about them making money to, uh, to get Zion in the playoffs. So, I mean, I don't hate the Pelicans. Uh, but I just feel like the Grizz really worked hard. John Morant would have been the first point guard in the history of the NBA. There's an article on the website written by one of our guys that uh, he's the first point guard in the history of the NBA to lead his team in scoring and make the playoffs in the same year as a rookie. Nobody's ever done it before. And to have something like that taken away from him uh, just kind of like pains me because of the work the Grizz did. So um that's that's what I think on that. I think it'll be interesting. I hope there's some kind of playing game for one of the eight seeds, but uh, I'd really like to see the Grizz hold on to that spot. Um, as for my finals prediction, um, you know, I'm I'm gonna go with, uh, and I haven't I haven't really had the chance to sit down and and fully think through that. I mean, I think I like, uh, unfortunately, because I know I'm, I'm not gonna be the the popular one on the podcast of this, but I, I like the Clippers. Uh, over the Lakers. I just think their depth is too much. I like LeBron uh, a lot, but you got a lot of fronts you can put at LeBron. I want to see what AD can do on a stage like that, but, you know, without knowing what's there. Uh, and then I just feel like there's kind of a cliff. You got a lot of old guys on the roster that have now not been playing for three months. I'm concerned about their transition back to the game. Uh, I think the Clippers have 10, 11, 12 guys deep, whereas the Lakers probably have six or seven. And uh, you know, that you can really trust. So uh, I like the clips out of the West. The East is kind of nuts. Uh, I agree with you guys that Giannis tends to fold in big moments. Um, and I know it was, was mentioned on the last podcast, but, uh, you know, my gut tells me uh, potentially the Celtics might be uh, that team out of the East. Uh, I don't that. like Love the that. Raptors. I, I don't like the Raptors. I don't like the Sixers. I think the Bucks have a chance if they can play defense the way they have all season long, but they just don't have anybody on that roster who's really been there before and can and can tell them what they need to do. I think 
this offseason, they don't need to focus on surrounding more talent around Giannis. I think they just need to bring in some vets that know what they're talking about um, and can kind of take the team up to the next level. So I'm going to say uh, Clippers, Celtics, and I'll take Clippers and six. All right. You're going off the beaten path of us a little bit, but I, I like it. Um, Clippers, Clippers is not we're, – we're Clippers haters. We're Paul George haters. But um, I respect the opinion. I'll be interested to see the Kawhi and LeBron matchup in the playoffs. I'm excited about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. – uh, well, Yeah, well, yeah. We'll, we'll have to have you back on. We can discuss, uh, mm-hmm. we can discuss it uh, in further depth, Ben. But uh, I know it's getting late, so thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed it. You always have uh, – at, fam- at family events and things, ever since I've gotten to know you over the years – You've always uh, you've always had a lot to say about the NBA, and it's always a lot smarter than me. So uh, it's always a pleasure. Um, and we uh, we'll, we'll have to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. No, I uh, appreciate you guys having me on. And uh, yeah, anytime. Once once playoffs roll around, let's shift the conversation from the draft and, and let's talk about what the rest of the season looks like. I'd be happy to hop back on and uh, uh, give my give give a different perspective. You know. Uh, turn a little of that, those purple and gold glasses away and give somebody a new look for once, you know, on, on the pot. Definitely. We, we definitely need a little, uh, yeah, a little parody on the pot. It's just, there probably would be if Paul George wasn't a fraud, but, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Yeah. All right. Talk to you guys later. See you, man. This episode of Jackson on Trades is brought to you by Blockbuster. Blockbuster the easiest way to get movies. Okay. Thank you to Blockbuster for sponsoring this episode and this interview, that interview with Ben Holloway of Hollow Hoops. Go follow Hollow Hoops on Twitter at H-O-L-L-A Hoops, all one word. Um, thank you to Ben for coming on the show. That was really fun. Um, he's a pretty bright guy and uh, he loves basketball, loves analytics and uh, loves the numbers of the game. So it's always good to talk to somebody uh, when you can, when you just know they're, they know what they're talking about. So uh, we're going to have him on again, talk more about NDA and the, and the draft, I'm sure. Um, but, yeah, thanks to Ben again. Um, go follow me on Twitter, LittleChip543. Grant is at GrantHughes42. Jackson No Trades Twitter. Go get an up-close-and-personal view of our new logo at Jackson No Trades, or it's the ad is uh, J-O-N-T-870. Go follow Hall Hoops. Check out articles by me and many others. Uh, including Ben and maybe Grant someday. Who knows? Go follow him at Ahol Hoops. We're headed to the top, y'all. Thanks for listening this long. We'll check out. Peace.